Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I am Michael. And we're here today to talk about Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 5. And in the studio with me to to rant and rave and praise is David. Hello. I was about to say, not rant, probably rave more than anything else. Because, dude, okay, he's won me over. Metallus has won me over. Yeah, I'm. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid. <laughs> well, hopefully we're not jumping the gun on this. I hope so too. Hopefully the quality maintains itself throughout. We still have five episodes to go, but David, I am there with you. This episode is just another great episode on top of another great episode. episode. And I have so many thoughts solely from an Uber fan perspective. I mean, Michelle Forbes reprising her role as Roe Lauren, uh, something I didn't expect, but was more than appropriate when looking at the overall narrative and story intent this season. Oh, absolutely. And the way they make her character important is a complete, it's a slap in the face of Michael Shaban and how he treated uh, the board Why character. Why you always got to bring up the past? Well, because you got to use the parallels, Mike. You I want to wanna kill the past when it comes to <laughs> you that. Kill the, well, that you know, we do topic. kill the past in this episode. <laughs> but yeah. the way he, the way Metallus treated Ro Loren's character, her legacy in this one, you know, absolutely outshines what we got in season one with, uh, with the board character was that was taken off the board by Michael Shaban and really amounted to nothing. Yeah. You're talking about Hugh. Hugh. Yeah. And it's like the way he, he, the way Hugh was treated and you compare that to Ro Loren and you go, wow, Metallus understands the importance of the, the quote unquote, the term everyone's been using with the Picard uh, series legacy character. When you bring in legacy character, you bring in all of their baggage, all of their character, and you understand that character from the get-go. Yeah, and you're not ignoring things out of convenience you for your story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so we had that, which we're going to get into in detail in just a moment here. And then we had Worf finally come into contact with Picard and Riker, which I thought was, I, I just giggled a bit like a, like a nerd when the transmission was going through and I'm like, you better, that's going to be Worf. You better answer you better that. Answer that. <laughs> and, and the beautiful part too, is like the interaction of all the crew or at least the, the three of them. Yeah. That's yeah. And the fact that their, their interaction tied so well with their characters, backgrounds, connections to Roe Loren was just seamlessly done. Well, everything was connected. Everything felt that's going to be a big part connected, we're yeah. going to be talking about because everything is connected. Nothing is just there. 
this is how you write a TV show, Dave. Everything that is being pushed forward is interwoven with the next bit of story. Characters, their actions, their past, as you mentioned. Yes. It's all being used to help propel the narrative forward. You have the USS Titan being forced to flee from the Intrepid. And through that whole sequence, we were given some amazing visual effects. Oh, absolutely. To see the Intrepid get their nacelle blasted. And then they have this typical, it was a naval shot. Imagine these were submarines. Yes. And the fact, I've never seen a Starfleet ship captured the way they captured the Intrepid when it got shot. I'm, and it I'm started not, drifting. Not, started drifting downwards like a submarine. Then as it regains its bearings, it starts coming up. I mean, it was, I can't say enough about yeah. the things they're doing this season. You have the back and forth between Shaw, Riker, and Picard about saving the universe versus the downside of their success. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, the changelings are evolving into something kind of different. Uh, uh, are, are we going to say it? Yes, David. Yes. I, you know, <laughs> we do have to worry when we find ourselves in a world where David and Ryan are the two people who are right with all their theories across the board on this network. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, and that's not an insult. It, it, it's not an insult. It's simply if people have been around this network long enough, know that you have outlandish theories. Hell yeah. That and have comes, never come to fruition until you, now. You ever notice that basically whenever I come with my theories, I go, a part of me even feels, nah, that's too dumb or that's too crazy. That can't yeah. work. And you know what? And, that that's not being used as a negative because it's all about execution. Yeah. You can, really does. You can put anything on paper and it could either be an amazing or it can be a pile of turd, a pile of turds. If you're not executing it correctly. Exactly. And that's why some of these ideas you say, yeah, I'm like, I, I'm like, no, that's awful, <laughs> but it's about the execution. And of course we have Jack Crusher's apparent psychotic break. Yeah. That we were, you know, because of that, we were given some pretty, uh, actually a pretty cool action sequence. Dude, I love the what they're did doing you, with it. Did you see when he shot those four changelings and that one that was missed? Yeah. The, the final death. And it did this weird thing with his body. Yes. It reverted to gelatinous state just enough so it can flip its legs. Yes. And then crawled up like a monster, like almost like a creature. Yeah. And then the the way that basically it's almost the way they do Jack stuff is very born identity. Yeah. Where he basically doesn't realize what's happening. Yeah. And then it's almost like a switch gets flipped. And in like in born identity, Jason Bourne in the very first movie, when you see it, doesn't realize what he's doing. And like, he doesn't know his identity. He doesn't know his identity, <laughs> but with Jack, it was so cool watching him suddenly flip a switch and suddenly he pulls out the phaser and just starts gunning people down. And then the way he walked up to the one person and just shot them point blank. Yeah. I was like, that was really cool. Well, we're going to probably tackle that topic towards the end of our discussion. And because you seem to be throwing, you know, hitting all bullseyes here. You better have some theories. 
because I want to see what you think this is going to be. Oh, I and, have a doozy. And you I better have not have watched ahead. Have you watched ahead? Because we are no, as of I recording this. We're slightly behind because we went on to spring break. Yeah. No, I didn't. That's why I, uh, prior to the show, I asked you. We're only covering okay. this episode, yeah. right? Because, yeah. dude, I, I wanted to so bad. Yeah, I, well, I wanted I to, to as fun. well, but I, I, I feel like when we know too much, our immediate discussion is not as good. Yes. Because we already know things. And, and honestly, because I, because I haven't watched ahead, it gives me more time to think of crazy theories. <laughs> and I am going to have a crazy ass theory right now. All right, well, hold on. Hold on. We'll get to that because I am anxious, but we got to save it to the end. Okay, so this episode is titled Imposters. It is the fifth episode of season three. The synapsis caught by Starfleet and facing court-martial. Paranoia grows as Picard struggles to uncover whether a prodigal crewman from his past has returned as an ally or an enemy hell-bent on destroying them all. Let's officially start with the Roe Lorraine stuff. Please, please, because that had me giddy. This is something I did not expect to say, mostly because Michelle Forbes, as most Star Trek fans know, passed on D Space Nine because she didn't really want to have anything else to do with the series. Yeah. Not necessarily, or with the franchise, and not necessarily because she didn't like it. She did like her run on Star Trek, but she had wanted to pursue a feature film career. Yeah, she wanted to really honestly take her career that next step. Yeah, so in turn, or in doing so, she effectively ended her run in Star Trek because I think most Star Trek fans figured, well, when you betray Captain Picard and join a terrorist organization, chances are your story's over. And that's a good way to kind of just send her off to the sunset, especially when you take into account that we knew we weren't going to get any more of her because that was the penultimate episode of the entire series. Yeah, well, the thing that was a shame too was like there wasn't really any... There wasn't in really any aftermath of that whole scenario because of how dramatic that storyline between her and Picard went. And we, I don't think we ever needed more. We, yeah, I agree with you. It really didn't need it, especially with her joining the Maquis. But there was always, I know for a fact that a lot of fans felt they wish they got a resolution or a conclusion between the two characters because of how intertwined the two characters were meaning to each other, especially since Picard and Ro, uh, Ro Loren for about a season, dude, a full season, maybe two seasons now longer than that, but it was yeah. based out over, I think nine episodes, nine episodes. Ro Loren was poised to be the protege of Jean-Luc Picard. You know, she was the one that they, it wasn't, you know, people make the joke. Oh, it was supposed to be Wesley because, because, <laughs> Of course, we, we want Wesley Crusher to be like treated like a son of Picard. It was a completely different dynamic. And see, now, I don't feel like we needed to see Ro Lauren at any point post what we've seen in Star Trek The Next Generation's final season. I feel like it did what it needed to do. Yeah. In fact, you and I had discussed or have discussed on numerous discussions on our Patreon exclusive shows mm -hmm. when we were talking about the the key defining features of Picard, like mm -hmm. his characterization. And we had said, well, if we had to pick at least four or five things that would define who Picard is and will become. And I believe this was actually in, we, I believe this conversation was actually paralleling 
season one because we weren't quite happy with what they were doing with Picard. It didn't really make a lot of sense that this is the version of this character we get. It didn't, it just didn't sync with everything we've seen prior. Mm -hmm. And we had talked about that. I believe we said the Borg was number one. Borg was number one. Forever shaped who he is and will become. Yeah. And we mentioned the betrayal of Roe because we didn't need anything else because the powerful way that episode ended. Yeah. If you guys out there have not watched the episode in a long time and you don't remember Patrick Stewart's performance when Riker walks in and says she's joined the Maquis. He doesn't even say a word. Yeah. He just stares out into space. He stares out. The camera drifts into a closer shot. Fade out. The episode ends. You're like, what the fuck? And his face said it all. Said it all. It's, it showed what he verbalized in this episode or, or vocalized in this episode that the, the heartbreak that she broke his heart. Yeah. We got that. In that final shot. So when he said that, it gave us fans that little bit of, uh, not reconciliation, but nod. Closure. Closure. The fact that we did, we we understood that because we saw it. And now we hear him actually saying something. And I don't think a Picard, if this was before the second season, when he made his emotional breakthrough, another great thing that Metallus did. You know, showing us why Picard's so closed emotionally. I don't feel like we would have had this little conversation. I don't think so either. So it shows you the strategy between seasons. Let's open him up emotionally. Let's allow him to be someone who can actually be vulnerable. And then have this scene here where he... I mean, he opens his heart. Oh, he yeah. is vulnerable in a way that I really wasn't expecting. And it actually sold the scene between the two of them that much more. Because once he said that, you then had Michelle Forbes' performance. And that, oh my God. Uh, and just her reaction, realizing the, the hurt she did to him. And then affirming the fact or asserting the fact that she also was haunted by how their relationship ended. And like, not just, not the fact that she, the, the, the regret she had was breaking Picard's heart. Yes. But her, not her decision, her, her basically telling Picard that I just wanted you to see me is like, it harkens back to what me and you were talking about in the Maquis when we did that retrospective and connecting the importance of the Maquis and what that whole concept of the Maquis, what it meant. It was Roe basically literally do, bringing up the things that me and you have brought about in that break, uh, breakthrough about how the Maquis was seen as something bad because it went against Federation ideals. However, the Maquis was something that was needed because there was something that the, the Federation could not handle because it goes against their ideals, which was the Cardassians. Well, well also, if they did, they would run the risk of ending a already shaky truce. A shaky truce. So and they they were stuck between a hard and a or a rock and a hard place. And like Roe basically standing fast on her decision, but saying that she does regret that basically hurting Picard because she knew that that her decision would damage their relationship. Because yeah, 
He taught her everything he knew and he was trying to, he was the teacher and she was the protege. She, he was the only one that could make her work. Yeah. She was so damaged. She had no friends. Her career was coming to a screeching halt. In fact, I believe no one wanted her on board their ships. She couldn't get a standing position, I believe, on any ships, if I remember correctly. And Picard, I don't want to say he took pity on her. He saw something in her. And he used, you know, his own wisdom as a captain to help shape her into being a better officer. And she did. She became a vital and important member of that crew over the course of, of, I believe, a couple seasons, or at least over the span of nine episodes. And with those nine episodes, they were never just useless filler episodes. They were always there showing for the most part, it might've been one or two that were not as significant, but for the most part, it was about her and Picard. Yes. For the most part, or her problems with her culture and her her relationship with Riker. Yeah. Yes. And her religious beliefs. Yeah. And dude, the emotion that was, that was said between that, that was conveyed by both Roe and Picard, I think is probably the most dramatic. I've uh, more dramatic than even the Beverly Crusher stuff because the Beverly stuff was uncomfortable to watch and expected. The thing between Roe and Picard, I feel was something that Star Trek fans, especially of TNG, we needed because like, the passion that they both they both hit each other with in that scene is it's it's almost like it was a pent up thing that never was fi- that we could finally have closure on the whole the whole argument of the maquis is basically down to that it's down to it, it the closure was between Roe and Picard both sides were both sides were right in what they did but they basically all regret the choices that they made. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's the choices that they regret, but they just regret that it went in that direction. The, the direction. Yeah. Went in that direction because I'm sorry, when she looks at Picard and she's like in tears and she just says the one thing I regret is like I wish you could have seen me for me. And then you flip it and you see Jean-Luc's reaction and it's, it is more painful than him coming to the realization that he just told his son Starfleet is the only family I need. Yeah. Well, the difference is, is that sh- certainly that's blood, right? His son, but he doesn't have a history. He doesn't him. have a history. So it would make sense that this would be, you know, that much more emotional, at least in a scenario like this, because he has a history with this person. And not only does he have a history, but he was betrayed, which Obviously, he takes personal. He takes very. He takes it very personal. Michelle Forbes has always been a great actor, and she has gotten so much better over time. And to have her, you know, and Patrick Stewart in a scene together, I want to say in positions of their life where they're both better than they were during the the era of the Next Generation, and to see just the two acting talents work together. They sold an entire scene and gave us closure in about 25 minutes. Yeah. 25 minutes. So her appearance, wrapping this part of our discussion up, her appearance made perfect sense, especially when you see, and I'm a little saddened by this, 
how Metallus is working diligently to bring full and complete closure to a character to Patrick Stewart's Picard. Yes. In a lot of ways, that's what this season's doing. That's why I'm not getting mad at the so-called fan service. I actually had some people reach out and ask me about that because people know who've listened to us for many years now know that the thing that I just can't stand for is meaningless fan service. But this is not meaningless. And people said, well, this has lots of fan service. I'm like, yes, it does. But none of it is meaningless. All exactly. Of, all of it. If you look at it, there's a strategy. It's not just about bringing the next generation cast back together, which is what I was afraid was going to happen this year. I mm-hmm. thought this was just going to be an ensemble cast show. They're going to throw out the playbook that was Star Trek Picard, a story that centers around one key character. And what they're doing is they're staying true to their concept despite what I had thought prior to the start of the season. And they're using Picard's history, which includes TNG cast members. Yes. In order to bring final closure to this man's story. Exactly. And that's the whole thing that I was like, it's about him. It's about why it's working. And like, this is what I feel we should have gotten in season one. David, because the stop whole bringing us there, <laughs> I know, but like the whole point of taking a series and making it about Picard's legacy is not to bash Picard's legacy, like what they did, where they they belittle him, they make him look like he's. You talking about in the first season first, compared to what they're doing now? First season and part of season two, where they make Picard look weak, where he's not the Picard that we all know, right? Here, they're taking his legacy and just basically saying, yes, he did fantastic things. He did great things, but it comes at a cost. Legacy comes at a cost. And I think that uh, especially after this uh, episode, that is one of the core things that I'm getting from Metallus's story when it comes to his overall themes is that everyone's legacy while, they're, while you might have a great legacy and a good legacy going forward, something to be proud of, there's always some cost to your legacy. There's cost to your choices. We see that with his relationship with Beverly. Because he made that relationship with Beverly, he'll, he never had a relationship with his son. Because of the decision he makes saying, Feder- the Federation's the only family I need, and said it to his son, Regardless if he knew it was his son or not, that is still basically saying that you don't need a son. That's what you were that because you're you made that choice. The Federation is your family. See, and that's an interesting perspective, Dave, that I didn't really catch until you said that now, because now let's expand your idea further. Because he chose Starfleet over family, right? Yes. Well, he also chose Starfleet over Roe. Over Roe. Exactly. That is why what Metallus is doing works for me because you can argue that it's fan service, but it's fan service with true intent. With true intent. Everything that's being pushed through this season, there is a motivation behind it that matters. And at the end of that is in fact the goal to make or to give closure to Picard and to finalize the last bits of story we haven't seen that we've had questions about perhaps potential open strands of narrative that date back from movies as well as the, the TV show, everything 
matters. It's not about fan service. It's about closing out this man's story yeah. in a way that feels satisfying and complete. And that's how I felt after the Roe and Picard incident, because let me preface this by saying it is not a, it is not a happy ending. That is by far what we saw, what happened between Roe and Jean-Luc was not happy, but the thing I do like about it, it is closure and it's the type of closure that feels real. It feels relatable. It feels like that is honestly what could realistically happen to two people who make that type of decision where I'm on one side, you're on the other. I'm sorry that basically we made this decision, but we're going to stand on opposing sides now. Right. And this is what happens. This is the, this is the outcome. And it's stuff like this is what I love about Star Trek. This is what makes great quote unquote Star Trek drama, melodrama, because we get to see more human elements that are more relatable to everybody out. That is what Star Trek's always been about. It's been about a lot of things, but the key component is the human condition, human condition. And honestly, the, 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 the human condition element that we get in the final moments between Roe and Jean-Luc is, I don't want to sound negative about, uh, about like human nature, but this is what I would expect would happen yeah. about hum- truly what would happen in human nature. And again, that, that scene at the end, right before Roe, takes, I'm, you know, flies her shuttle into the nacelle of the intrepid. The fact that Picard is expressing emotion and feeling through a view screen in front of everyone on the bridge, on the bridge so they can see it at first glance, or maybe at first watch, there may be someone out there that say that is not what Patrick Stewart's Picard would ever do. That's not his character. It is after season two. Yeah, it is after season two. Go back to season one. One of the few things that Shaban did correctly was when Picard could not even say he loved Data. Do you remember that? Yes. And he said, I have something, I believe his words were, I have something that possibly could be called love. Yeah. He could even say, I love him. Him, yeah. Season two comes along. He yeah. works through all that emotional baggage, the, the reasons why he's closed. And now we have someone who can express himself to Dr. Crusher. To Commander Riker, to Jack Crusher, and now to Roe. Yeah. And it actually doesn't feel out of character because of what Metallus did in the second season. Exactly. Because the whole, the whole lichpin of everything is that moment that, that starts Picard on this, on this path of closing out his own personal legacy is that moment when he hugs Q. Because that's yeah. the first time he gets to actually look at someone after Q empties his soul to Picard and says, you are, you are special because I see you as special. You're special to me. <laughs> and then it ends with Picard hugging Q. Yeah. Which. That was rough, man. Emotionally. That, was, that was rough emotionally, but that was a man basically coming to terms and basically saying, yeah, I have to be more open coming in touch with his feelings, with his feelings. 
And like here, we finally get to see him taking everything that he's learned, he's learned and bringing it over say, and actually showing some, I, would you say the term is solace or like, uh, he's almost sorry. He shows remorse. Mm-hmm. He serves, he shows remorse with his interactions with Riker, with his interactions with Beverly, with his son. You know, the, the moment like in the last episode that won me over is that look that Picard has when he comes to the realization, wait a minute, I remember this moment and suddenly now I remember that 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 was my son. I said, Federation is more important, is my only family that I need. And then ding, it hits him. And you see that little glimmer of remorse. Here in this episode, that just comes f- just like like a steam like a steam engine right into your face when that interaction between him and Roe and he basically starts off by saying like what you said you broke my heart and this was the first time I think I've ever seen Picard or, or Patrick Stewart really emote Picard in a in a very emotional way where he's breaking down I think the only other moment where we had a true breakdown and it wasn't as shocking because he did it in front of Deanna Troy who already understood him throughout the next generation TV show that was made clear that she understood a lot of his problems because she could, she's an empath. She's an empath. It was in generations when he found out his brother and his nephew Nephew were killed, burned to death in the vineyard. Yeah. And he broke down and cried. I want to say that's the only other time or the only time until now that we've seen a man who was willingly or he was willing to be emotional in front of someone. Well, because like at that moment, he's so overwhelmed with grief. Yeah. He can't hold it. And here it's different because he just lets it go because it's almost like he, he realizes I have to let this out. You know, that's a good point. There is a difference between those. Like, that's a man struggling with grief, with information he just found, he found out, out. As opposed to someone who's willingly expressing their own emotional yeah. state, the, what, yeah. what it means to them. Yeah. Because, like, that whole scene, especially since it was something enclosed between him and Deanna Troy, here, he, he is expressing his pure emotions to another person and expressing it to the person, the the person that is the source of that emotion, his grief, he'll never be able to express that to his brother and his nephew, his nephew, but he can express his grief right at Roe Loren, who is the center of that, that trauma of his, where it broke him. It broke his heart because of how much he, he cared about Roe Loren. Yeah. I know. I mean, there's so much we can discuss still with all of <laughs> there's that. There's so much, dude. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost deserves an entire Patreon-exclusive show where we just delve into, you know, a, a third part of Picard's characterization, and we now include elements from season two and season three of Picard, because I do not believe we've discussed or have done another installment since season two. So we'll have a lot of content. Oh, yeah. to throw in there now when it comes to the the defining features of of Picard and what helped shape that. And thank Metallus for that one. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the controversy 
that this episode has been wrapped in since its <laughs> premiere and has everything to do with Roe. Yes. There's a lot of people upset that they killed her off in the very same episode they brought her back in. And certainly as a fan, I'm not overly pleased that she died and possibly even critically, I might have some problems, but what could possibly counter any critical misgivings is simply the fact that her presence has been present. Yes. Since the beginning of the season, since the beginning of the season, because you, you realize that basically she was the one leading the investigation in, in the whole changeling aspect that Worf and Raffi have been embroiled in. She's the reason why they even know of this conspiracy yes. is because she was leading the charge in this investigation. And, and the fact that she was a part of, you know, essentially Starfleet intelligence, she's Worf's handler and Worf is Raffi's handler. She has been around her. This idea has been around since the very first episode and because of that, I don't feel like Metallus just simply pulled some story aspects out of his ass. No, absolutely. Because like the, the whole point of Rose character, how important she was really is summed up in like the, those final moments of the episode where Riker and uh, Picard are going over. Uh, why did she give Picard that necklace or the earring of hers? Mm hmm. And then basically Picard, uh, Riker figures it out and says, oh, it's an old spy trick where she, that's where she kept all her notes and everything within that, uh, within that earring. And then you see like everything that she's been working on. And basically Riker makes the comment, this is her legacy. This is what she's been working on this whole time to try to, to save the Federation. And that really puts it into more perspective that Roe was not a throwaway character. Roe was a very important character to oh, the series. Definitely not a throwaway character. Yeah, she's definitely not a throw, not. she's not Hugh. No. I, I, that's why I brought it up in the very beginning is like you compare I see uh, I've seen the complaints that you brought up that they say, oh, she's just a throwaway character, and they they essentially fridged her, which is a term in comics where you just fridge a yeah. um, a character for uh, dramatic purposes. Yeah, no. but, but that wasn't, see that scene, her death wasn't about r raising the stakes. Her death was simply a way to remove players off the board that were no longer needed because yes. it's already getting filled with a lot of people. Yeah. And in doing so, yes, it does raise the stakes. Absolutely. It raised the emotional stakes for our core characters. But at the end of the day, not about Roe. Thank you for giving us Roe and using her in this way, but it's about Picard and what the actions, what took place in this episode, what is going to do to the, for the ever evolving story for this character mm -hmm. and his closure. That's what it's about. And that's why I'm not mad. And it doesn't feel lazy to me. Certainly. I feel like it could have worked maybe even better if you had introduced her, maybe an episode prior kept her around for at least two episodes. I, no, I, you know what? It's fine how it is. I, I'm not upset about it because it feels so right. The way it was executed yeah. was so perfect that it really doesn't matter how they removed her after it, using her and getting what they needed. And the thing was, I was going to interject and basically say, no, it is the perfect way of, set, put it, uh, of the way that she's used because it added 
that gravitas to the problem that all the TNG crew have to figure out now, which is the changeling. The threat of the changelings really puts it all together, their threat. Yeah. I, you know, the thing is, is that nowadays people get our, get a little more upset when characters are killed than even in years past, because in years past, we didn't get the never ending stories, the never ending franchises, yeah. meaning if a character died, you're like, well, they served their purpose and that's it. Now, if you kill a character, people are like, but we could have done a spinoff. We're going to get more. We want her around more. So they're thinking of the future rather than the immediate, the immediate, whereas the in years past, people didn't have that mindset because whatever happened in this closed Star Trek series the jig is up by the end of the series anyways. Yeah. But now in the day and age where nothing dies, it's changed the mindset and the expectations of a lot of fans. And now when you kill off a character like this, people are like, well, there's so much we could have done. Yeah. But her story ended 30 plus years ago. technically, yeah. And now they're using her simply as a way to give closure to our main character, to our main character. So in the end, I, I don't really care that they killed her off. I'm glad they brought her back. And did what they needed to do. Yeah. And now moving forward, it's it's over. It's done. And now we can move on. All right. So let's talk about Worf. <laughs> this was, I was, I was actually, this is actually kind of the stuff that I was a little giddy about too. Just seeing the, just seeing the interaction between him and Rafi. And the one thing that has kind of perturbed me about a lot of the criticism is everyone complaining that Worf is a pacifist. And I'm like going this in this episode, we kind of see Worf not as a pacifist. He's wise. That's what it is more. <laughs> it's, it's more that he, he has, he's, he's, he's been through a lot. Yeah. He's honing that, um, not honing. What's it called? Yeah. He's, uh, he's honing his warrior skills, his yeah. true samurai warrior skills. Isn't that what it feels like more? It feels like oh, yeah. that is what they're doing with it more than anything is that they're showing a man who has been through so much war. Yeah. What he brings up about the fact that I have learned to slow down my breathing and my heartbeat <laughs> to non-existent levels. And I'm like going, yeah, that's, that's a warfism right there. That is a war thing. <laughs> that's and that's why it's thing. funny because I like that they're playing into some of Worf's, I, what's the right words for it? Kind of idioms. Like, yes. Idioms, really. Just the, like the little funny over the top things. Like I remember for years, it was it, for years. It was Worf always wanting to use torpedoes. Yes. And in fact, that was the joke in lower decks. They used it for the Bajoran security guard. That's what they were copying when Worf always wanted to use torpedoes. And then you see him in the background when Picard said no, and he would look all disappointed. Yes. And that's kind of what started it. It was the early two, I think it was the first two seasons of Next Generation where they really played into that. And then since then, you laugh at some of Worf's things, not because it's stupid, because you're like, oh, that's so Worf. That's so Worf. Dude, when he's like doing the whole, today was a good day to die. <laughs> and he gives them that really melodramatic speech to Raffi. I'm like, for a moment, I thought it was, yeah. it was over the top, but he was performing. This was, was this is how Worf wants to die. And then I, I thought about it going, he's not really going to die. <laughs> this is not how he dies. Yeah. I really like what they're doing with Worf. It's funny that, I mean, I suppose he's the third 
favorite character out of the next generation people. Oh, easily. I'm I sure think. there are people out there who are just 100% about Worf. For years, I was. Oh, yeah. But when you look at how the movies have been shaped and the TV shows, some of the best stories and the stories that have stood the test of time, yes, Worf is a part of them, but it is usually Picard and Data. Picard, Data. Followed by Worf. Followed by Worf because of all the stories with the Klingons. Because the yeah. Klingons were a huge yeah, story yeah. point in TNG. But his story, D Space Nine, is what really took it to new heights. Yes, and that's what they're doing so well with this. They're taking all of his history from Next Generation, <laughs> from the movies, from D Space Nine, and merging it into this character. And I feel like there's credibility there. It feels realistic. Like this is in fact what would happen to Worf after years of of going through war. Of going through war, he would literally come to a point where he's like, "Yeah, okay, I've done it all." I've learned everything. I'm at peace. Especially when he was so opposed to how Galron, Galron was running things during the Dominion War. Yeah. And the way he was treating his people. It makes sense to me that this is a guy who's not grasping at power, but actually working behind the scenes to correct injustices. Injustices. I mean, especially, especially since the one scene that I will always remember, especially from Deep Space Nine, is the, the scene when he kills Gowron and he does the Klingon yell. Yeah. In the very end when he kills him. And that's to let the souls go, right? To let the to, soul go. To Stovacor. To Stovacor. And it's like, you go from that to this, and it's like, yeah, that makes sense. It really does. Because, like, he's been through so much trauma and war and battle and he lost Dax and come on and yeah he uh, I'm sorry he lost Dax yeah. <laughs> that was that was that was pretty sad yeah but like you go you when you get to that yeah you you probably would reach a zen point state at that point right either that or slit your wrist <laughs> <laughs> all right so Picard Riker a company Sean Shaw, Sean, who's Sean? Sean. <laughs> it's Shaw. <laughs> Picard and Riker accompany Shaw, you know, humming a tune while he was looking rather pleased with himself in the turbo lift because he was finally getting, <laughs> were, he was finally is, getting rid of his heartache. Is this, is this where you finally came to terms that yeah, Shaw is your spirit animal? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just whistling. Oh, I'm sorry. I just feel, I feel chipper today. Yeah. I loved that scene because <laughs> I like, remember I was talking about self refer or referential aspects yeah. in Star Trek or just in things in general. This was referential in Canon reverential. Also while kind of giving a wink, wink to the audience. Hey guys, I'm, I'm going to do a little callback on some things. When he mentioned, you know, when Riker first used the, the defense that we use as fans, that's why I say Metallus is a fan because Riker said what we always say. Don't act like they didn't save the universe, please. Yes. And sure enough, Riker uses that. He says, you know, we've saved the universe, you know, more than three or four times. Oh, yeah. He, he's all, you might want to remember that you crashed the saucer section of the USS Enterprise, Enterprise. into a planet. <laughs> and then when someone, and then he tilts his head at Picard, violated the prime directive so they could snog a villager on Baku. <laughs> or when they nearly wiped out all of humanity with a time paradox. I mean... Oh, wait, how did he finish that? The chicken and the, it's a real chicken and the egg thing. It's a happening. chicken and the egg thing happening. <laughs> yeah. Like what came first? Are you saving the universe or are you destroying the universe? And I was like, going, 
I think Shaw has become everyone's fan favorite now because of this. Because Shaw is the one who wants, who who's the ultimate realist. I hate to say that because, you know, like, we always use the action. Well, look, the Enterprise crew is awesome because they're the ones who save the day. They're the ones who save the world. And Shaw is the one that basically is like, going, you know, the reason they have to save the day usually is because they screwed something up. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Man, this episode, it was just, it was firing in all cylinders. It really oh, yeah. was. And of course we have the changeling stuff now. And David, <laughs> and David you were right yet again this oh, season. Oh, thank you, Dr. Crusher. <laughs> the changelings are evolving into something kind of different. Now, I didn't yes. completely poo-poo on that idea, Dave. I said, no, they're not going to, they're not going to evolve. Like just, yeah, and I even use the analogy of if you take Klingons to another planet, they're not going to suddenly grow five arms. So yeah, it's all about the execution <laughs> because the way they explained it and described it actually fits with what we know of changeling canon. Yes. Now this also might work. This also might back go retrospectively. I might have to go back and change my thoughts on the communication aspect. When we saw Vatic communicate. Yeah. With another, assumingly another shapeshifter. Yes. Uh, which just felt weird, but okay. So according to the Star Trek wiki and this started jogging my memory and I just remembered all these things as I was reading through this change leaks can take virtually any corporeal form that much. We already knew. Yes. They also had the ability to closely mimic humanoid personalities. Okay. That much we knew they could transform parts of themselves into smaller electrical devices like a com badge. Yes. And make it operational. And make it operational. And yes. we're also capable of at least mimicking the shape and operation of a computer. Yes. So changelings could also mimic the form of fire and clouds, which that I did remember mm -hmm. because I even suggested that they were the actual uh, biological entities that were in, in the that, nebula. In the nebula. So, Dave. After going through what the Star Trek wiki reminded us of, I can easily say, okay, you know what? Then the communication aspect from last episode definitely could work with yes. a few explanations. And the, the evolving aspect also makes sense as well. Because we, we've seen them evolve in Deep Space Nine. I didn't think they could evolve to that point. But now it makes sense also because if you think about how Odo was unable to completely copy the form of a perfect humanoid yes. or a human because he always had that bridge. Whereas the other changelings, I believe they said at one point, they also struggled taking on that form. But then as the show progressed, they got better. They got better at mimicking humans. So Especially they, they it, have adaptability and of course the attribute of evolving. Yes. Especially when you throw in the adage that, they get stronger with more people, with more of them bringing information back. That was the point of Odo. O the reason why Odo was able to do a lot of the things later on was because he connected with the Great Link and he, he learned how to do things. But on the flip side, they also learned things that Odo brought in. And that's what made them stronger. Uh-huh. 
crypto almost like I don't want to say it's a simulation, but it's almost like that. It's a shared consciousness. It's a shared consciousness. And if they merge with someone who's experienced certain things, they take on those experiences. So the evolution process does make sense. But does this mean just one version of the Great Link, this rebel faction, is evolving? Or is the original Great Link also evolving? And the reason why I bring this up is because at some point we're going to have to address this question. And in order to get that question answered, it seems like the most appropriate character would be Odo. Yeah. Now we know the actor that plays Odo died a couple years back of cancer. Rene Aubergenois, I believe is how you say his name. He died, unfortunately. However, in this day and age, CGI could easily work, especially when you're dealing with a character like a shapeshifter. You can create excuses. There's things you can do. Normally, I'd say no, leave it alone. But as we can see, Metallus seems to be able to take ideas that seem kind of silly and make them work. But my point, I'm digressing here. My point is, do you agree? Let's pretend Rene Aubergenois is alive. Okay. Odo had, if he was alive, Odo has to be a part of the show. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Okay. So now he's dead. Do they still find a way to make him, to make him a relevant component of the series? I thought about it because you mentioned this off the air when we were discussing notes and stuff and it gave me time to think. And I think that yes, Odo there's still hope that basically you could still bring in Odo, but he's not going to look like the Odo that we remember. And here's why I think that the, the way that they can play it off like this, Odo joins the great link. So in essence, Odo kind of Odo achieves his perfect form, meaning he's able to assume any identity, any look he desires. He looks like Kira. <laughs> oh, dude, what would you do if like she shows up and it's actually Odo? Oh, and then everyone's like, going, wait, you're not Kira. Odo's like, I like this form. Yeah. And it's, it would make sense. I would, I would like, oh, yeah, Odo. Yeah, you do you, man. <laughs> David, please don't say that because that means it's going to come true. And that's awful. But in all, honesty, in all honesty, you could bring the character of Odo back. And like he ta- assumes a different form. Yeah, there's a number of ways they could do it. I'm a little hesitant about him taking on another form, but I also feel feel it would feel remiss from not. They're dealing with the changelings. Yes, and it, it, here's the thing: you Odo are, has to be a part of it. You are you essentially by the end of this episode, you have basically made the threat that. Everyone cannot be trusted in the Federation because the changelings have infiltrated Federation rank. So Odo could be doing something in the background, but he's in disguise because he has to keep himself hidden. He doesn't want to interact with the other changelings because if, especially when you take into context of what Worf has told Raffi I think it was either last episode or the episode before mm-hmm. where he says there was a break, uh, a break of changeling ranks a couple and, episodes ago, yeah. and this faction broke off from the great link. So in this, in essence, so there must be a war or a battle at least going on between the changelings, a civil war. So 
Odo, of course, would probably be front and center there on the side we'd be hoping is good. Well, two episodes from now, the episode's titled The Dominion. (laughs) Oh, God, dude. Do you think that's going to be the time that we get to see Odo? Because that would be perfect. That would be absolutely perfect. I hope. I hope. Now I, it just it would feel really strange if we don't use Odo. I want to I want to toss out my crazy theory now. Wait, what, what, we're not even there yet. Well, you have a crazy theory for this? Yes. Oh my god! All right, let's hear because your I idea. think it ties to Jack. And then we're gonna run some bets on the side and see if you're gonna be right. I, okay. I'm gonna put my money on you. All right. <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out because the keep it we, brief though. We're running out of time. Yeah, we have five episodes to go. I don't think Jack is full changeling. I Wait, think, hold on. You never said he was a changeling. No, no, but there's a lot of talk that obviously he's connected to the changeling somehow because he's having those stupid visions. He has some connection, whether he has be, some connection. Yeah. They're yeah. Ca- They're saying that he must j- rejoin us. Come find me and stuff like that. Right. I don't think he's full changeling. I think he's partial. I think because there's going to be a moment when we find out that as a child, he had an accident and Beverly had to do something to save her son that basically I'm going to say she put some changeling organics inside of Jack to save him. Hmm. It would make sense. That's an interesting idea. And it's not as ridiculous as you had promoted it yes. as being well no it is a little far-fetched no, because no, that's I, a lot of leap you know what <laughs> i i don't are you gonna join me i i would actually be okay with that that would make a lot of sense if she also it would shed more light on her decision of because we still don't know why she ran away exactly she didn't need to run away from everyone and starfleet in order to keep jack crusher a secret yeah and also she did make the comment this past episode your visions are coming back since you've had them as a child yeah so she knows that what jack's been going through and she knows that it's been going on since since she is since his childhood I think Beverly knows more than what she's alluding that she's keeping. And perhaps, and perhaps this is the reason why the shapeshifters have evolved because they have some direct connection to a hybrid, to a hybrid. And think about this too. Now this goes, takes it even further. If you want to think about the changeling genetics, the importance of Jack as bringing him back to the great link or whatever great link this rogue faction is creating his genetic code is tied to Jean-Luc Picard. How, how much potential and knowledge can they sap out of his genetic code? And, and I know it sounds far fetched, but think about nemesis when Picard or in Shinzon, the power of the fact that they cloned Jean-Luc and made a darker version of himself. And that's what Shinzon was. Shinzon was the darker version of Picard. Think what the changelings can do. They can make a perfect Shinzon. Yeah. And Shinzon arguably was the most dangerous villain that the TNG crew has ever faced. Yeah. So we'll know soon enough. We only have five more episodes to go, so we're getting to the end of our final season of Picard. We're halfway through. 
Jack Crusher is having a psychotic break. That's where we'll end our discussion for today. I'm going to get this episode at 95%. Dave, how about yourself? I really love this episode, dude. I'm actually going for the first time. I'm going higher than you since we started this series. I'm going a 97. Okay. Yeah. With this episode. I thought this episode was fantastic. Yeah, it was good. All right. This brings us to the end of our show. David, thank you. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.